I love how excited the kids are for children in worship, right? <laughs> Our second scripture this morning is from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, uh, and tells this the story of the uh, paralytic man. I'll invite you to listen for the word God has for us this morning. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. Uh, and Jesus was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves, and he said, to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your, sons are for, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk? But, so that you may know that I have authority on earth to forgive sins, Jesus said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning never gives us a name for the paralytic man. That bothers me when that happens in the Bible. I don't think we would appreciate it today if someone called you that arthritic person, that cancerous person, the one who is filled with asthma every Sunday. No, they're people. We are more than our disease. We are more than any affliction that might happen to our health. And so for the purpose of the message today, I'm just going to give him a name. We're going to call him Nathaniel. While being paralyzed is certainly an enormous challenge for anyone in any time, in the first century it must have seemed like an impossible situation. In those days, people tended to actually think that if anyone was sick, they got that way because they were a sinner and God was punishing them. And so beyond being aware of people staring at him and pitying him, Nathaniel is acutely aware 
that others wonder what terrible thing he must have done to end up the way he is. Of course, there are no electric wheelchairs, voice-activated computers, or other helpful devices to enable him to live somewhat of an independent life. So Nathaniel is completely at the mercy of others, others who are willing to take care of him, even though people in that time have a bad name when they're sick. You can imagine the waves of depression or hopelessness that might have overcome him from time to time. And then one day something happens that sparks hope in his heart. He hears that Jesus is coming to Capernaum. And having heard stories about Jesus healing people, he dares to dream that he could be one of them. Now, we don't know if Nathaniel asks his four friends to take him to Jesus or if they just decide they're going to take him. Either way, it's clear in this story that Nathaniel has some amazing friends. The house where Jesus is staying is filled to capacity with all of the people coming to see him and crowds outside of the house carrying Nathaniel on his pallet and not making an inch of progress toward the door. They figure the only way that they are going to get Nathaniel to Jesus is to go through the roof. Now, a roof in that area of the world was and still is usually built flat. Usually there is an outside staircase leading up to it so that people can use it as a sort of extra porch. I've been on one of them that had a lattice-covered gazebo kind of thing with grapes hanging down from it so you could sit up there and watch the stars at night and look out over the town and have your grapes to eat. In the first century, the flat roofs are covered with mud and grasses packed between beams of wood. The only way to rip off part of the roof is to get some sort of shovel and start digging. And so Nathaniel's friends decide to do that. Inside is Jesus teaching all of the people around him. They're listening. They're probably excited about the possibility of what he might say or who he might heal. And all of a sudden, these pieces of dried mud and grass start falling over their heads and probably in some of their laps, interrupting Jesus' teaching and, we're sure, causing a commotion among the people. When it finally stops, they look up into the ceiling and see the bright blue sky, and then arms reaching down, lowering this stretcher with a helpless man on it. Consider how it feels to be Nathaniel at that moment completely helpless and vulnerable, all eyes fixed on you in disbelief, the homeowner probably scowling about the hole in his roof, people making assumptions about his predicament. And so he gets lowered through the roof in front of everyone until he is lying there right in front of Jesus. Far from getting upset at the disruption, Jesus deftly makes it a part of his teaching, letting everyone know that he is moved by the faith of Nathaniel's friends. They have trusted that if they can get Nathaniel to Jesus, something holy is going to happen. Instead of sitting at home, talking about their friend and how they wish they could help him, they put their faith into action. Even if Jesus doesn't heal Nathaniel, the extent of his friend's caring and willingness to do something 
has to lift his spirits. A Presbyterian pastor named Douglas Loving once wrote an article for the Christian Century magazine, and he wrote about how he had found out that he had a rare liver disease. The doctor had told him that the only possible treatment was a liver transplant, and because of the shortage of livers at that time, only a third of the people who needed them would get them, and without one, he would die. Douglas wrote, in the aftermath of that nearly paralyzing news, I was awed to find spiritual companions gathering around me, bringing me great blessing. Their faithfulness often lifted me, carried me toward the healer when I couldn't find my way alone. A spiritual friend guided me toward the rich promises of scripture. Many joined in continuing prayers for healing. Together, each in his own fashion, they have buoyed me up and continue to transport me into the transforming presence and healing power of Christ. Their faithfulness has helped me to experience a reality that I suspect the paralyzed man discovered as well. Even without being free of physical disease, we are offered God's transformative gift of love that means more than our healthy bodies. I think this deeper gift of love is what prompts Jesus to give an unexpected response to Nathaniel, for when he sees the faith of his friends, he doesn't immediately say, be healed, does he? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. That sounds a little strange to us, doesn't it? Uh, Jesus, that's not his problem. Have you noticed that he's paralyzed? You see, Jesus knows that the spirit within us needs to be the first priority. It is our wholeness, our inner peace, that Jesus wants for us most of all. Jesus is not agreeing with the people who think that Nathaniel's paralysis is a result of sinfulness. After all, in the Gospel of John, there's a story of Jesus encountering a blind man, and someone asks him, well, did this guy sin or did his parents do it, that he was born this way? And Jesus says, neither one. In today's story, Jesus is forgiving Nathanael in a way that is probably related to Nathanael's misunderstanding, his assuming that the paralysis is his own fault his assumption that maybe he's not worthy of God's love. Jesus' message to him, I believe, is something more akin to, don't you know that your sins are already forgiven? Let go of those voices in your head that tell you you are somehow less than someone else. Trust in my love, and you will experience God's healing and restoration in your heart and in your soul. When Jesus heals Nathaniel's body in the story, it's almost a secondary healing. There are times when you and I get stuck and need friends, friends who can help us move toward the kind of healing that God wants for us. Some of you may remember it, it first happened long, long ago in 1967, a woman, Joni Erickson Tata. She was an active teenager. She loved writing horses and hiking trails and tennis and swimming. 
And then one day she dove into the Chesapeake Bay, misguiding the shallowness of the water. The fractures in her vertebrae caused her to be paralyzed from her shoulders down. In an autobiography, Joni would later talk about the early years in rehab when she went through the emotions of anger and depression, doubt about her faith, even thoughts of suicide. But the love and support of friends was there, giving her strength when she had none herself. After a therapist taught her to hold a brush in her teeth, she began to paint and soon became an accomplished painter. Her paintings are still in demand today. Although I'm not quite on the same page with some of her more fundamentalist theology, Joni is an incredibly inspiring person who has supported the spiritual needs of people who are disabled throughout the world. Having been in a wheelchair now for 50 years, having gone through surgery and treatments for stage 3 breast cancer twice, continuing to suffer from chronic pain, Joni still feels the love of God healing her spirit. Although she is paralyzed, she says that Jesus walks with her every day. Through the trials of her life, Joni has been open to the next thing that God might be calling her to do in her circumstances. Friends who carried her when her faith was frail are now giving her the courage to offer the same caring and support to others. I happen to know for sure that there are people in this sanctuary today who have experienced illness, grief, or heartache. Even some who have gone through a crisis of faith and have felt undergirded and lifted up by the rest of you in this congregation. They have known themselves to be held in a love by the many active people in our prayer chain, through cards and phone calls, visits and home communion, people willing to listen and care about them. There's a sort of spiritual paralysis that catches up with most of us at one time or another, and it is an amazing gift to be able, when we need to, to lean on another person's faith, letting that faith carry us when we need it. I recently heard from a young woman who was once upon a time a teen in a youth group that I led. She's been through a really rough time lately and reached out about how she might find a church in the area where she now lives. Something in her knows that she needs to be among a family of faith. She said she just can't do it alone anymore. The Russian novelist Fyodor Dostoevsky was a Christian whose difficulties in life, such as being banished to a Siberian prison camp, challenged his faith so that he would sometimes struggle with his beliefs and experience dark nights of the soul. He once said that when he had those struggles, he would go to church. And in the singing of the congregation, his unbelief was gathered up in their belief and he was carried along by the faith of friends. 
Now, Christian friendship is not just about your best buddies, the people you enjoy. It is something deeper than that. Jesus invites us to offer the love and acceptance and compassion of friendship to people we don't even like, to the ones who are hardest to love, the ones who have never done anything for us and might not appreciate what we do for them. That's where the real challenge lies. We try to model that understanding in the church, loving each other and caring for each other no matter what. God also calls us to share that kind of friendship with the people we meet everywhere. After the devastating earthquakes, we have seen amazing, inspiring footage of rescuers. Help from rescue teams from all over the world. People from countries that are otherwise in conflict with each other, yet who care about the suffering of these innocent people. And so they are willing to forget their problems with each other long enough to concentrate on saving lives. Teams of Europeans, Chinese, Israelis, Palestinians, Americans, Greeks, people from Libya and India and Africa, people from, Palest from Pakistan, Taiwan, South Korea and Qatar, and on and on goes the list. Not only sending funds, but sending people. Many of these groups work together, pooling their resources. After far too long and frigid temperatures, we have seen footage of people emerging from under mountains of concrete to the cheers of everyone around with exceptional joy erupting when it is a child or a baby who was rescued. When one boy was pulled from the rubble, a rescuer with tears of joy running down his own cheeks gave him a warm hug and said, I haven't slept for four days because I was determined to get you out. A human chain of soldiers from the Spanish Military Emergencies Unit moved another rescued child to a heated tent, and minutes later they pulled out his sister and then their mother, all of them doing well. One of the workers said they did not need much treatment, just love and warmth, water and a little fruit. The pain of loss for the people of Turkey and Syria is almost unimaginable with people who have lost their whole families. And yet the healing power of friendship, the amazing ability of human beings to remember the common bonds of their humanity and signs of God's presence, are signs of God's presence with us, are signs of the spark of the divine within. As Christians, it is our job to carry others in any way that we can, to bring people to, to God by showing them such love that they catch a glimpse of God through us. I'd like to end the sermon today with a sort of very brief guided meditation. I'm going to suggest four different things for you to say in the silence of your own mind to yourself and say each one three times. With one of them, you have to fill in the blank at the end of the sentence. So close your eyes for a moment and say to yourself three times, God loves me. Now I want you to think of someone you don't particularly like or someone who hasn't been very nice to you and fill their name in the blank 
at the end of the next sentence. God loves fill in the blank. In the next one, you will fill in that same, not, that same name. God, help me to love this person, too. And the last sentence to repeat as a prayer, help me be a friend like Jesus. Amen.